our scripture for this morning is uh, Galatians 6.1, which reads, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Anyone need stretch or anything? You won't insult me at all if in the middle of my preaching you get up and stretch or something? It's all good. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And as we are looking in Galatians, the last chapter of this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian churches, ask for your spirit to be with us, to uh, minister to us, to impart to us not just knowledge and not just conviction, but for transformation, for change to happen, for this stuff to be real. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome out. My name's Albert. I see some new faces. I would love to meet you, say hi, uh, see how our church can serve you. And here we are. First verse here, and yes, only one verse today. That's how we roll. Today we're going to look at the essential need of restoring a follower of Jesus who has sinned. So this is actually relevant to everyone because there are times we will all be caught in a transgression, a sin, because the sin nature is still inside of us. So here we are, we're going to camp out at this verse today as it's a verse of instruction that we will all put into practice in our lives, whether it's you who are getting restored because in our lives there are going to be times that we're going to fall or you're the one that's going to be doing the restoration because those around you will be falling. But either way, we're going to be busy practicing this verse. So therefore, we're just going to take a look at this verse uh, by itself this morning. So let's first take a look at this first word here, brothers. A term of endearment from Paul who used the same term brothers seven times earlier in this letter to address these people that he dearly cared about. And he pointed out to them that they were indeed children of God as they were spiritual siblings one to another who needed a reminder of the freedom that they had in Jesus. And because of this loving sibling relationship, Paul wrote this letter to his Christian siblings to instruct them on how to care for one another just as any loving sibling would do. And because every loving sibling will at one time fall, it's an important necessity for us to know how to restore those who have fallen. Now back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, God asked Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And what did Cain respond with? He said this, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And it wasn't just his response that was out of line. His heart, his attitude were also out of line. And if we looked at the Bible to give us an answer on whether we are our brother's keeper, sister's keeper, the answer is yes. You are. We have a responsibility to one another, not to the point where it's unhealthy or enabling or overbearing, but to the point that we do indeed keep an eye out for one another. So here we are, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, what does that mean, if anyone is caught in any transgression? Because you can interpret it a couple of ways, right? Does that mean when someone is caught in the act of sinning, or is it in reference to a person being caught by sin? 
So if it's someone caught in sin, there's a story in the Bible where that happened, John chapter 8, verse 3, right? The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And in looking at that story, I don't think those guys were interested at restoration at all. Not at all. And I think that anyone who is out on the hunt to look for people who are sinning, who are in a transgression, they probably don't have their heart in the right place. They probably don't have the right attitude. So I believe Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is about the person who has been caught by a transgression, by a sin, not because we act as sin hounds trying to sniff out sin in people, but because they were caught in it. They got caught in it. They fall. And the idea is that someone was surprised by being caught by sin. Not surprised in that someone caught them, but that the sin caught them by surprise. Right? It's like when you're driving along, right, and you're about to do a lane change, and so you start looking into the other lane, and only to be honked at, and you hear brakes screech behind you, and you see the headlights flash at you, because you didn't see that car, and so you were surprised that the car showed up. Before you did that lane change, you were actually driving as you are supposed to do, right? You're driving along, and, and you looked into your rearview mirror to see if any cars were approaching. You looked into your side mirrors to see if any car. You turned on your turn signal. You looked over your shoulder on the blind spot, and then you started going. But then somehow, and you're like, I did what I was supposed to do. Like, how did that happen? You were surprised. Who knows? And so this surprise is kind of what's behind verse 1. When you were caught in a transgression, when you were going in, you're, it's a surprise. So this isn't in regards to someone who is chronically practicing sin, who's habitually in sin, I don't think. The scriptures have different instructions in regards to church discipline when someone is caught in sin, when someone is habitually sinning, but that is not this verse. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Galatians is for the follower of Jesus. He wrote this to the Galatian churches, right? Who have been running a good race. They've been kind of doing the Christian thing, but in the middle of running their race, they were bumped into or their laces came untied or something happened to where they fell. Now, the word transgression in verse 1 is defined as to fall beside. That's the definition. So just picture a track meet. And people are running, and people are in their running lanes, and you know, you're in a pack, right? And you're running in a pack, and then someone just falls. Feet get tripped up, laces, whatever it is. Now, go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and this is what it reads. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I want to point out, walk by the Spirit. So this is a person who is walking. And as they are walking, they're surprised by sin. They're caught by sin, and they've fallen. Now, how do we respond? How do we respond to that person? Do we just kind of let them be? Right, let them be? We, we just continue walking and running and just kind of... Let them go, or do we even run a little bit faster or walk a little bit faster so we can get away so the person that's further behind has a responsibility because you're out in front a little bit? Or do you kind of just say under your breath, like, man, you have that coming. You need to be more careful. Even if they are a brother or sister and they're holding their ankle, agonizing in pain with a grimace on their face, what are we supposed to do? Would we be like the priest or the Levite in Luke chapter 10? Right, the story of the Good Samaritan. We're probably all familiar with that. Right, there was a man walking 
from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell amongst robbers. And so these robbers stripped him, they beat him, and they left him for dead. And so along came a priest, and then along came a Levite, both religious men, seeing an injured guy, and they just keep walking by. Then came the Samaritan. People that were not thought of very highly to people that Jesus was teaching to that audience. Just They would have been shocked that Jesus said Samaritan because they were so despised. So you just think of the most despised people that you can think of for you guys. A terrorist, a child molester. You know, somebody that you can't just imagine that you just despise and they get plugged into this protagonist role. You're like, what? How? Do, what? And so Jesus used the good Samaritan, the Samaritan as an example. And so we are to be like this good Samaritan who had compassion on the man who fell. And you notice this about the Samaritan. His compassion led him to action. An action he chose to take because he was free to make those choices. So when a brother or sister fall, there's this opportunity to exercise our freedom to take action. Will our compassion be stuck in our head and just thinking like, oh, it would be a good idea to help them out, but yeah, I feel bad for them, but I'm too busy. You know, I, I got to go. Or will you take action? Will it transfer into head knowledge into doing something? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You don't beat somebody who's already down. You don't go on this verbal barrage, on this verbal criticism, or with glares of disbelief, or with rough hands. You go to them with healing hands, and gentleness, and words of encouragement. You go to them like the Samaritan, with compassion, ready to act, binding up wounds, pouring on oil and wine, right? Those healing agents. Putting him on your own animals, transporting, bringing him to an inn to care for him. You take your own resources, and you make sure Care is given. Now, there will be a time when you and I fall. So plug yourself into that scenario, and how would you like to be cared for when you have this unexpected fall? At those times, may we not treat our brothers and sisters harshly. We're not talking about people who actively practice sin here or habitually practice sin. We're talking about people that they just got caught in it. They fell, and that's what this is about. It's not about the pattern of sin or the people that are practicing in a pattern of sin. This is in regards to people who are caught by surprise, and they fall while they're just kind of walking, running the race. And when people fall like this, this is what we're to do. We're to take action. We are to restore. Because we can't sit idle when a brother or sister falls. And taking action does not mean that we broadcast what happened to the world or we start spreading gospel. Did you know that they did this? Or you know, It doesn't mean that we walk by them like the priest or the Levite and do nothing. Nor does it mean you refer it to the pastoral staff or an elder or a ministry leader or something because you don't want to be your brother's keeper and it's too much of a bother. Different if it's just something that you can't kind of deal with and handle because it's just beyond your ability to do that. But if you're the one to witness the fall, you're the one that kind of needs to take action in terms of that restoration. How is restore defined? Well, this word is actually a Greek medical term, and it means to mend, it means to repair, it means to adjust what has been broken. 
And so it brings me back to my days as a teenager when I dislocated my elbow. So here I am in the emergency room sitting on the bed there and, and in walks this very large cowboy. And this ER doc was a cowboy. He had a hat on, full on hat, and he had the boots with metal tips on them. And then he had a lab coat that was too small for him. I don't think they made lab coats this big. This guy was like 6'6", 300 pounds. Really big guy. And so in he came, he looked at me and he was like, yep, that's dislocated all right. <laughs> and then he said, I'll be back to try and pop that back in. It's going to hurt a lot, son. And then he goes on to tell me about this intense pain that I'm going to feel until it pops back in. But then once it pops back in, it's going to feel really good. But while he's going to try doing this, he goes, it's going to hurt like the dickens. <laughs> and then he reminds me right before he goes, I go, and he looks back, you know it's going to be painful, right? I was like, I was like oh my gosh. This guy's a horrible doctor. <laughs> then I asked, it's going to hurt more than it already has? And I, I couldn't believe it. Because when they were trying to position my arm all these different ways to take x-rays because they needed to see if it was broken inside, if they had to do surgery, if it cut something or whatever. And so they were manipulating it all. It was so painful. Already my arms are just like, it's off, right? It's like dangling. And so they're moving, and I'm in so much pain, I couldn't believe it. And he says, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to hurt way worse. And I was like, what? What? So 45 minutes, I'm sitting there, just dreading the moment that this guy comes back, waiting for this guy to pop my elbow back into place. And one thing I was thankful for and thought of, though, was that I'm thankful that this guy's so big. Because if anyone's going to pop it back, it's him. If he can't do it, no one's going to be able to do it. So the time came. And I heard him coming down the hall with those big metal tip boots. He's the only guy heavy enough to make this sound. And I'm just like, he's coming. He's coming. And then he pulled the curtain and he was like, you ready for the pain, son? And I'm like, like I have a choice. Like my arm's just like, oh. and what am, what am I going to do with this dangling arm the rest of my life? And then he says, it's okay for you to yell, because this is going to hurt. And then I asked him, can't you give me anesthesia or something? I mean, you guys are like a hospital. Like, you can give me something to where it won't hurt. And then he was like, well, let me just try this first. And if it doesn't work, then we'll do that. I was like, just do that. And I think, you're crazy. Just drug me up right now. What are you, you're crazy. And then his big, gigantic hands came. They were like gorilla hands. And it went under my arm, right, like, it was this arm. And it comes under here. And then he puts this arm under his armpit like this. And he grasps it like this. And then he holds my forearm like this, right? I'm trying to be tough. I'm a teenager, right? I'm trying to be tough. And I'm just thinking, this is so painful because just the slightest of movements just to make the alignment it was so painful just to get it kind of like back straight again so that he can kind of pop it back in I was just praying God how much more painful can this be and then he said okay now it's gonna hurt I was like what I was like what what was all this stuff like like this stuff didn't hurt already but then there was something I understood without going through that pain my arm's not going to be restored. I had to go through that pain so that my elbow could be mended. 
It could be repaired so that I could use this again. And so you see, if you don't go through pain in a restoration process, which can be awfully painful, and you kind of sometimes wonder, can it be any more painful than this? You won't be able to be used again. You won't be able to walk. You won't be able to run again. And there's pain in the restoration process. There's hurt before healing happens. And so when you see a brother or sister go down in agony, you restore them in the spirit of gentleness because their restoration process can be quite painful. So my arm's straightened out now. He didn't yank on it, which I thought you do that. He actually pulled gently. He had it there, and he just started moving. Like, this guy knew his stuff because he wasn't using his arm. He was, like, using his whole body. like It was like Tai Chi stuff or something. I was like, and I just heard this, like, like, and I started feeling all these, like, things, like, and I was just like, oh, like, like this thing was just, like, getting so painful. And then I heard, and that felt so good. That felt so good. Like, it was like the euphoric thing. I was just like, oh, like, after all, like, the, I was like, oh. There's another place where this same Greek word is used for restore. It's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 19. This is what it reads. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And you're kind of wondering, where's the word restore there? It's the word mending. It's the same Greek word as Galatians 6.1. It's just in our translation, I guess the translators didn't want to say restore nets, because it kind of says mending sounds closer. It's synonymous. It's the same word in the Greek. And so in Galatians, it's restore, in Mark, it's mend. Now, nets needed mending because they would get caught on those sharp rocks when they were fishing, or they'd get worn down. For whatever reason, nets always need mending. And so the fishermen needed to restore the nets so that they would be of use again, so that they could be working. And without the mending, without the restoration, the net would not be able to serve its purpose. And so a fisherman would examine the fishnets to see where in the net it needed mending, and maybe the net wouldn't need mending every day. But sooner or later, as the nets are being used, there will be a place where there will be an opening that is larger so that the fish get through it that needs to be mended, otherwise the net's no good. And they knew that the nets needed mending. If you're using them, they need to be mended. If you're used by God, you need to be mended you're not a perfect net, right? You're going to be thrown out catching fish, not fish, fishers of men, right? We're fishers of men. And as you're being used, you're going to get caught on stuff. You're going to get rubbed against sharp rocks. Things are going to happen to you, and you're going to need to be mended. See, we need restoration. We need men. If you're used, if you're not used and you're just kind of like this relic, then, yeah, nothing's going to happen to you. You're just going to rot. But you need mending, and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Right? It's a matter of when you need mending. But are you going to willingly go through the mending process or are you going to make excuses? Because maybe you're in denial and you say things like, you know, I really didn't fall. I really didn't fall. It just looked like I'm falling. It just looks like I'm limping, but I'm okay. And you're in denial. Or maybe you try to justify your fall. 
and saying like, you know, in making the role in my fall, I actually got ahead in the race. And you, you're, you're just trying to justify. But you have excuses and it's difficult to restore someone who does not want to be restored, who does not want to be mended. See, Dr. Cowboy couldn't force me to want to pop my elbow back into place. He can give me very compelling reasons like, you'll never use your arm again. Good reason. But if I don't willingly allow him to pop it back into place, he can't. Because I'd be very rich if he forced it because that's malpractice. He can't force me. God won't force you to go through a restoration process. There's very compelling reasons as to why. He's not a tyrant. He's not a barbarian. So there has to be a willingness from the one who needs restoration. And there needs to be a desire to mend from the restorer. Where the doctor has to be okay with entering into the process. And and so restoration mending is kind of a two-way street. If one party does not willingly participate in the process, being restored back to usefulness, it can't happen. It can't happen. I couldn't pop this back into place. Someone outside of me had to do that. Right? My elbow was restored so it can be useful again. James and John mended the nets so that they could be useful again. The nets weren't mended because they didn't have anything else to do and they were knitting or something, right? James and John restored the nets so that they can go back out to the water to use those nets again. And it's the same for us. When we fall, when we're needing mending, that we are restored for our usefulness again, that we are restored to fish again. And in the spirit of restoration, I think the church at times has shelved people from being fishers of men too long. Right? At times we're too quick to put people back into ministry, but then there are other times where we wait too long because we view some sins as worse than other sins. Let's be people who have the heart to want to restore, that have the attitude to want to restore mending people so that they can run again. See, the purpose isn't to penalize. It's not a punitive thing. It's not to punish. And sure, depending on the fall, depending on the damage to the net, perhaps the net can't be used in the same exact way as it was before. Maybe you can't catch the same kind of fish anymore. Maybe you need to adjust what the net's used for or something. But that doesn't mean that you retire the net. You just use it differently. And we're not talking about someone who's in the practice of sin or habitually sinning. This is about someone caught by surprise by sin. Now, let's take a look at who does the restoring. You who are spiritual should restore him. Now, who are those who are spiritual? Well, you take a look back at a few verses, and I think it's those who fall or who have the fruit of the Spirit. And definitely not those who have the works of the flesh manifest in their lives. Because how would you like to have someone who's filled with enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy attempting to restore you. That would do more damage than good. So who are the spiritual people? People who are mature spiritually. Not of the flesh. And you take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are all still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, 
Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So we see some of those evident works of the flesh that are manifest in Galatians, mentioned also in Corinthians. Spiritual people are those who walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Led by the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 18. Live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, chapter 5, verse 25. Filled with the Spirit. Right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. So when someone falls and needs restorations, it's not just anyone that goes and restores. It's the spiritual ones. Now, this was not meant to be some exclusive club that Paul was addressing. Paul wrote this to the Galatian churches. Paul's invitation is for all of us to be spiritual people. Right? He's not addressing spiritual people. It's an invitation for all of us to be these people, to be ready for those who have fallen so that at a moment's notice, we are the spiritual people to help restore the others that have fell. For all of us to mend the nets, for all of us to restore one another to usefulness, looking out for one another. Now, how do we practice this restoration? In the spirit of gentleness. Spiritual people are gentle people. And that doesn't mean that they're wimpy people or people with no backbones. Gentleness does not mean weakness. See, they know how to nurse people back to restoration and they aren't rough in handling broken people. They're tender toward the wounded. They don't make things worse with their actions or with their words. They're not there judging or condemning. They restore in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus gave a beautiful picture of this gentle restoration in the story of the Good Samaritan. And so let's refer back to that again, back to that story. Luke chapter 10, this time I'll read it starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. See, we won't be able to restore one another without compassion for one another. And it does little good to feel compassion without doing something with that compassion, to take action with that compassion. Continuing on, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he cared for him out of his own resources. He inconvenienced himself. Verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. See, he doesn't go halfway. It wasn't partial restoration. He was committed. Right, right when he saw this restoration process needed, he committed himself to it. Verse 36, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And so this is actually a beautiful picture of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. To realize people fall, unbeknownst to them, it's surprising. It might be an ambush. Whatever it is, it's just surprising. And they're going to be stripped, beaten, and left for dead. That's not the time to go up to the person and say, I told you so. That's not the time to go up to the person and start judging them and condemning them and just say, if you just did what I told you. That's the time that people are in need of gentle restoration. Right? Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. The last part of verse 1 here. 
keep watch, meaning to fix one's eye upon, to direct one's attention to. And the Greek word here is where we get the word scope. Right? So imagine the scope of a surgeon during arthroscopic surgery. They have the camera in there, that scope in there, and the, and the surgeon fixes her eye on the site where the surgery needs to take place. She doesn't just start cutting and stuff, right? She kind of sees exactly what needs to happen, and then she acts on it. She's just like, mm, that feels about right. Oh, no, that's not right. And she's very focused, fixed upon what needs to happen. She's fixed on the site, on the organ, or on the blood vessel, whatever, before she makes any type of cut or anything. And it's not a passive action. It's very intentional. It's very proactive. It's very deliberate. It's not something that just happens. And so you who are going to involve yourself in the restoring of your brothers and sisters, keep watch. Be deliberate. Be focused. Don't just start doing whatever. Keep watch on them. No, it doesn't say that. Keep watch on yourself. That interesting? You would think, yeah, keep watch on them, restore them. No, no, no. Keep watch on yourself. What's going on here? One of my jobs during college was as an EMT. And so as an EMT, we were trained to look out for ourselves because if we went down, we wouldn't be of any help to the people that we were trying to help. So we were always trained to kind of wait. So if we were going to a gunshot or a violent crime or a domestic abuse problem, we don't just go in, we wait for the police. If there was a hazardous material spill, if there was a fire, we don't just go in, we wait for the fire department. We watch ourselves. We keep watch for ourselves. Otherwise, we could be a casualty just like who we're trying to help. Right? So it's the same in ministry. It's the same in the ministry of restoration. There have been too many times where I've witnessed a pastor, a ministry staff member, ministry leader heading into a counseling session without keeping watch on themselves. Going into a situation without being aware of their surroundings and compromising themselves to temptation. And these are really well-intentioned people, spiritual people, gentle people, compassionate people, People who noticed when others fell and attempted to restore them in the spirit of gentleness, but they forgot the second part of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. There have been too many times of pastors that I know personally who have fallen into sexual immorality because they didn't keep watch of themselves when attempting to minister to others about their sexual immorality. you got to watch out for you. Right? Keep watch for yourself lest you be tempted. Be careful about being too eager to jump into a restoration scenario without keeping watch for yourself, without being spiritual, the spiritual ones. Otherwise, you might be the next casualty. And I've seen this a lot. You don't rush into dangerous situations lest you fall victim to the same danger. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's be ready to respond when others fall. That we are to seek God in molding us into the people who are able to restore those who have fallen. To be spiritual people, 
to mend and restore gently, to be aware of ourselves and what we may be in danger with in ourselves when helping others because we can fall into the same sin if we're not watchful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your warning. May we be people who are healers, who restore, who mend those who have fallen. It's bound to happen as we are being used. And so, Lord, uh, may we keep in mind your lessons here. Father, for any of those who have been mistreated by the church, I pray for their restoration. I pray for their healing. I pray, God, for an opportunity for us to do the mending and restoration, that you would give them the courage to move forward with that. I pray, God, for those who are hurting and who need mending and restoration, Lord, that they would have the courage to come forward and ask for the help if we are not sensitive enough to see that ourselves. But let this be a place of healing for those who need it in Jesus' name. Amen.